Section 56 of Angels of the Battlefield. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Angels of the Battlefield by George Barton. Section 56, Appendix 20. A Romance of the War. This record of their life and conduct could not be brought to a more appropriate close than by the recital of a touching romance of the war, growing directly out of the work of the sisters during that crucial period. The episode upon which the story hinges gains added interest from the fact that it constituted one of the actual occurrences of the closing day of the war. A few years before the first shot was fired upon Sumter, a household that was a perfect picture of domestic felicity existed in one of the large cities of Kentucky. It consisted of four persons, father, mother, son, and daughter. The parents were in comfortable circumstances, and in their life and conduct were all that the heads of a Christian family should be. The son and daughter vied with one another in performing those little acts of devotion and duty that go so far toward making up the sum total of harmony and happiness that should ever reign about the family hearthstone. At the time our narrative begins, the son was approaching his twentieth year. He was a tall, handsome, manly fellow, and by a course of preparatory work was now about to begin the final years of study at the West Point Military Academy. The daughter, a girl of unusual intelligence and beauty, was two years the junior of her brother. Hers was a devout nature, and choice and study led her to adopt the habit of a sister of charity, as the means for carrying out a desire to be both useful and good during her transitory stay upon this earth. Just at this period, death, by one of those inexplicable strokes, which can never be made quite clear to the human intellect, carried off both parents. The devoted children of such a loving father and mother were naturally prostrated at such an affliction, but they rallied nobly, and grief only served to bring out the better qualities of their nature. After all that was mortal of the dearest ones had been consigned to the earth, they calmly sat down and rationally discussed their future plans. The result was just what might have been expected. Both resolved to carry out their original design. The parting was a sad one. The man, going to complete his knowledge of a soldier's life, the woman, to her convent home, to receive the final vows, and to learn the last lessons concerning the philosophy of charity in its sweetest and grandest sense. Many years passed, and the brother and sister, in their widely separated and totally different spheres of life, were as dead to one another as if they had never lived under the same roof. The civil war with all of its horrors began. What had been the theoretical discussion of cabinets and the political orations of legislatures now developed into the fierce and awful reality of war. 
it was no longer a question of what might or could have been the actual grim-visaged monster with all the hideous ills that follow was engaged in the work of death and destruction men volunteered their services and after them came the nurses one of these was sister s from one of the northern houses of the sisters of charity in order to expedite her mission of mercy it was necessary that she should enter the service of the federal government the record of her daily life from that time forth was the record of every member of the catholic sisterhood that served during the war days of uninterrupted work nights of ceaseless watching soon after the siege of vicksburg word was telegraphed to baltimore that a corps of sisters of charity was needed at once to care for the scores of sick and wounded then suffering in louisiana only five sisters were available they were sent at once with sister s in command they found travel seriously impeded from the start this fact caused the good samaritans much anguish of mind for the summons they received said that many of the men would die unless they had the immediate attendance of experienced nurses when the sisters reached chattanooga they found that a special train had been provided for the purpose of rushing them with all possible speed to the city of new orleans on this train there were also a number of union officers carrying important sealed orders from the authorities at washington to the men in charge of the union forces in what was known as the department of the gulf sisters and officers were filled with conflicting emotions but all had one object in common the desire to reach new orleans at the earliest possible moment with the sisters it was a race for life for lives that may be saved by their exertions with the men it was a race for honor for promotion perhaps for official commendation from the general of the army or the president of the united states finally the train steamed into the crescent city and the officers went to seek their commanders and the sisters their patients who were in a small town on the mississippi river sister s divided her small force of nurses with such rare good judgment and executive ability that in twenty-four hours all of the sick and wounded men were resting comfortably suddenly came the order to depart and the union troops all left the town taking with them such of the convalescent patients as were able to bear the strain of travel twelve hours later a portion of the confederate army entered the town bringing several hundred of their sick and wounded sister s thinking that the call to duty in this instance was no less imperative than it had been in the case of the union men the day before started for the hospital where the wounded confederates had been carried one of the union surgeons who had remained behind with his wounded men placed a detaining hand upon her arm where are you going he said to look after these men she replied that is impossible he said you are in the service of the united states government and you are not permitted to serve under the enemy we have no objection to your nursing the wounded confederates but it must be under the auspices of our generals the union forces will probably regain possession of this town before nightfall and then you can wait upon both sides alike but i insist and the eyes of the usually mild-mannered sister sparkled 
as she stamped her foot in an emphatic manner. I know nothing of technical military rules, but I insist upon my right to nurse these poor men. I regret very much being placed in such a position, said the surgeon gently, but I am here representing the government. And I, responded the sister, am here representing something greater than the government. What is that? he asked in an incredulous tone. Humanity, was the quiet reply. The officer, a brave man, obeying orders, did not utter another word, but bowing his head, opened the door, and admitted the sister and her companions into the presence of the sick. Scarcely a minute had elapsed, when the surgeon heard the heart-rendering shriek of a woman, come from the interior of the building. Rushing in, he beheld the sister, kneeling beside a cot at the far end of the room. The tears were pouring down her cheeks, but it was evident that they were tears of joy. The bearded man upon the cot was seriously wounded, but there was a placid expression upon his countenance as he kissed the hand of the sister. Need this dramatic scene be explained to the reader? It was the son and daughter, mentioned in the beginning of the sketch, reunited after years of separation. The one enlisted in the Confederate Army, the other a nurse serving under the Union government. The sight drew tears from rough soldiers, who seldom betrayed emotion of any character. The sister lavished every attention upon her wounded brother. What would have been a solemn duty under any conditions now became a work of love and affection. But it was all in vain. He had been marked as a victim by the grim destroyer. In a few days he breathed his last, edified and consoled by the presence of his sister and all of the offices of religion. Funerals from the hospital always occurred at night, and this was no exception. But the obsequies of the young Confederate officer were out of the ordinary. Everyone about the hospital, and indeed in the town, evinced a desire to do something as a mark of respect to Sister S. The moon was shining brightly on the night of the internment, and it looked down upon a ghostly procession that followed the body to its last resting place. Six convalescent soldiers, three Union men and three Confederates, acted as pallbearers. The services of the church were conducted by the chaplain, Sister S. was the chief mourner. The other sisters followed with lighted tapers. No one took more interest in the proceedings, or did more for the convenience of those concerned, than the surgeon with whom the sister had the altercation a few days before. After the war, the sister devoted herself to those works of charity and mercy which to a person with the desire and will are within reach in times of peace as well as in times of war. End of section 56